Glad you guys are here this morning. You guys all look so wonderful this morning. Yeah, Sean, you look so great too. Oh, thank you. You guys are so kind. Just so embarrassed. Uh, anyways, hey, I'm glad you guys are here. For those of you who just joined us online, glad you guys are joining us. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sean, and uh, we are on a multi-year study through the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be Matthew 17. If you don't, don't worry about it. For those of you who are visual learners, we're going to have the appropriate applicable verses here. If you are junior high or high school, though, uh, we're doing the deal. Yes. Okay. So if you're junior high school and you're in the room, you can head over to the other building. If you're not in the room, it'll be awkward if you just walk out of the house, but you know, you do you. So um, we're going through the book of Matthew. Matthew 17 is where we're going to be today. Matthew 17. So um, before we read it, I just got to give you a heads up. Okay. In the Bible, there are some odd stories. Okay? If you don't know this, it's just because you haven't read enough of the Bible. Um, there's a story, you know, Balaam and his donkey, right? Can we all agree that's an odd story? Um, Elisha, Elisha, some kids make fun of him for being bald, right? It's written in the scriptures, make fun of him for being bald, so he calls a bear out of the mountains to maul them. Weird story, okay? Um, there are some weird stories in the Bible, and today we're going to look at one that I'm just going to be honest with you, is a bit of an odd story. It's an odd story for a really obvious reason you're going to see, um, but I actually think it's probably a little bit of an odd story for a, a little bit more complex reason that you have to look under the surface a little bit. I think this might actually be the oddest story. Um, it's at least the oddest story that Matthew records. It may be the oddest story in all the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, just brace yourself. I just want you to breathe a little bit when you read the story and you go, that seems really weird. And we're all going to go, yep. Okay, so here you go. You ready? Matthew 17, verse 24. It says this. When they, being Jesus and his disciples, came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, yes. And when he came to the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? Which just so you know, Jesus isn't confused. So Peter also, his full name is Simon Peter. So sometimes he gets called Simon, sometimes he gets called Peter, okay? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll taxes? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Can we all agree? Bit of an odd story, right? Two guys, well, we presume two guys because that's normally how they traveled. But a couple guys come to Jesus, come to Peter actually, and they say, hey, isn't your guy going to pay the taxes? Now, there's a lot going on in the story that you just have to understand some context about what goes on in first century um, uh, Palestine and first century Israel. They ask if he's going to pay the two drachma tax. Now, that tells us a lot about who they are and what they're asking about. The two drachma tax was not a state tax. It wasn't a civil tax. It wasn't the Roman Empire, which was the oppressive regime who ruled over the territory and over the people of Israel at the time. It's not a tax to fund the state 
of, of Rome, the state government, right? It's different. The two drachma tax is a tax written in the Old Testament that was an expectation by all good Jews to pay what turns out to be about a day's wages, okay? About a day's wages to help provide for the, the operation of the temple, you know, they, they got stuff. They got custodians. They got um, landscapers. Somebody's got to pay for a sports center. And so they got to pay for all these things, right? And so they do that through a two drop. Once a year, they have to pay one day's salary. Now, now here's the deal, okay? They, they have no way of enforcing this. They have no way of enforcing it. They don't have any power to demand that people do it. And so what they would do is good Jews would willfully pay the two drachma tax. They'd pay the one day's wages, which is incredibly important to know because there are some guys coming on behalf of the temple and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, um, all those people, the scribes, all those people come on behalf of them to fund the institution and, and, and really what's intertwined in the temple is not just the center of faith, but it's also the center of culture, and it's also the center of governance. If you remember, um, who's supposed to be the king of Israel? Who's supposed to be the king of Israel is God. Is God. That's the way God set it up when he established the nation of Israel. He said, I'm going to be your king. You're not going to be like other nations. I'm going to be your king. Right? Now, the people rebelled. They didn't like that. They wanted, they wanted to be like everybody else, which is a whole different sermon series that we have to get into. They want to be like everybody else. So they demanded a king, and God's like, you're not going to like a king. And like, no, we want a king. You're not going to like a king. No, we want a king. Oh, God, why'd you give us a king? Right? That's kind of how it goes. And that's how it happens for us most of the time in our lives, right? And so God's supposed to be the king. And so his temple, per se, not his temple, his, his castle, per se, his, his capital city is Jerusalem, and the place the king resides in Israel is the temple, okay? And these guys come and they ask for them to contribute to the maintaining of this temple. Now, here's where it gets weird. D did you see Jesus' response? Here, here's what he says to him. Let, let me read it again to you so that we can see it. He, he says, he asks Simon this. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings collect who do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax from their sons or from their strangers? And Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. Did you hear it? Did you catch it? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, this is just kind of a tangent. This is just for free today. But anybody who claims, or maybe you've said like, oh, you know, I don't think Jesus ever really claimed to be God. Like, just to be really transparent, as kind and lovingly as I can say, um, if you don't think that Jesus ever claimed to be God, it's either because you've never read the words of what Jesus actually said, or you just haven't done enough research to understand the context of what those things meant. What did Jesus just say? You, you know who the king is? right? You know who the king is. The king is God. And, and would a king ever tax their children? It wouldn't even make sense. Now, we live in a very different economic world, and we go, should they pay taxes? Yeah, they better pay their taxes, right? Like, everybody pays taxes. You know, the, ki the, the, the kids of the president don't get out of paying taxes. At least, at least they shouldn't. Get out of paying taxes, okay? Shouldn't get out of paying. Everybody pay But in a monarch, in a monarch, 
There's no reason to tax the kids. You know why? It's the same estate. It doesn't make any sense. Does, Does it make sense to you to tax your children for their electric bill? No, because you're giving them their allowance and then you're taking their allowance. It doesn't make you any richer. It doesn't make you, it doesn't make any sense. And what Jesus says is he's not responsible to pay the tax because he's the son of the king. If he's the son of the king and the king is God, then what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the son of God. Right there, that's, that's right what he says. Then the son's are exempt. Now, don't miss this. This is probably one of the most important things you need to see in this. Jesus has absolutely no responsibility to pay the tax. It's not a matter of discussion or question. He has zero liability. He has the absolute, unequivocal, unrestrained right to say, I don't have to pay it. I don't have to pay it. But look, this is where it gets really weird and it gets a little bit uncomfortable if we're going to be honest. Look at what Jesus says. Then the sons are exempt, right? Complete freedom. Doesn't have to. It's not his job. It's not his expectation. Nothing about Jesus requires he pays this tax. But look at this. Look at this. However, however, so that we do not. Did you see that word? offend them. When you think of Jesus, as much or as little as you know about him, and you kind of think about how you envision him and how he interacts with people and the stories that you know about Jesus, how would you characterize him? Would you, is this something you'd say? You know, Jesus, you know, a lot of great things. Spoke a lot of great things, died on the cross, rose again, spent three years in ministry, really worried about offending people. No! No! Do do you know Jesus? Right? This is what he says to the religious leaders. You're whitewashed tombs, which means this, right? He's like, everything on the outside looks nice and clean, but on the inside, you're just dead, rotting bones and, 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 and guts, nasty. Death. Oh, oh, remember when Jesus goes to the religious leader's place of work? Remember when he goes there and he's like, hey guys, I'm so glad you guys are here working in the temple. I brought you some donuts. No, no, he goes into the temple and he flips over their desks and he takes a whip and he drives them out. <laughs> what is going on here? This has got to be one of the oddest stories in all of the book of Matthew when you look at it right on the surface. What, why does Jesus care at all that he might offend two dudes who happen to work at the temple. I mean, in fact, Peter, who Jesus is having this conversation with, later talks about Jesus as the one who offends. First Peter says it this way, right? This is talking about Jesus. This is what he says about Jesus, that he's a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. That Jesus himself is the offense. What, what's going on with Jesus? Like, Peter, Peter spent three years with Jesus, and this is what he says. He says, you know what? Jesus is an offense to a lot of people. And in fact, this is exactly what most of um, the epistles, most of, um, after you get into the gospels, you get into the epistles, a lot of them are written by a guy named Paul. Um, most of the epistles are contending with this issue. 
that Jesus is an offense. Now, now to some, to some religious people, Jesus was offense because he an offense because he didn't follow the religious rules. Right? We have um, post their reality labeled them Judaizers. Right? There were people that said Jesus didn't fit the rules and the expectations. It was one of the obstacles in Judas's life. It was one of the obstacles in Peter's life that Jesus didn't fit the, 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 the way that they expected him to be. He didn't fit into the box. And Jesus himself became an obstacle for many religious people because they're waiting for a king. They're waiting for that king to come riding in and make a bloodbath of the Romans. And to crush them and to drive them out and to ascend, to sit on a throne as rightful king. And Jesus doesn't. He comes to conquer and he comes to destroy the kingdoms of this world. But he does it through grace and mercy and kindness and restoration and reconciliation. And for some, for some of us, that's an obstacle. That's a barrier. That's a we don't like that. We, we want Jesus to be, we want be, Jesus to be against the people we're against and hate the people we hate. And he shows up and he says, love your enemies and persecute you. And we go, I, I, don't, I don't know that I want that. For some of us, Jesus is far too conservative, far too constrictive. You know, he, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the only one. Not a, bunch of, not a bunch of trails on the same mountain. We're all getting the same spot. No, Jesus says, I am the only one. And for some, that's an obstacle. That's a stumbling block. That's an offense. But as I read through scripture, and I read through this passage, and I look at what's been written, he, I think there's two types of offenses in scripture. One of them is Jesus. Okay? And for some of you, that's the thing you've been struggling with. Because there are things you read in this book about what Jesus says, and you're like, I don't, I don't know if I'm down with that. I, I don't know if I'm okay with that. I, maybe, I, don't, I don't know that I like that. I, I want him to be more angry, or I want him to be more kind, or I want him to be whatever. And he's not. There's two kinds of offenses. One is Jesus, and then I spent a lot of time, you know, studying through the sources to try and come up with something that rhymed with Jesus, and I didn't. So here you go. There's Jesus, and the other kind of offense the Bible sees is anything else. In fact, Jesus talks about it. In the very next chapter, Matthew 18, uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 18. We're going to get to this in about a month. Um, but in Matthew 18, he, he says this. Woe to that man whom the, through whom the stumbling block comes. Now, is Jesus talking about himself? Because that's what Peter's talking about. Peter's talking about a stumbling block, an offense that's Jesus. No, what, what Jesus is talking about here is anything, everything else. You see, Jesus' ministry, the message of the incarnation, is that God will spare nothing to eliminate any stumbling block, any obstacle, any offense that stands between men and himself. 
It's why Jesus went into the temple and drove them out because they had created these standards and this expectation and this culture that was an obstacle to people coming near to Jesus. It's why Jesus gets so angry with the religious leaders. In fact, at one point he says this, he says, you travel all around the world to make one convert. And once you do, you make him twice the son of hell than you are. This is what Jesus is saying. You chase them all, you make a convert, and you just put them further and further away from God. You see, there's a kind of offense that is Jesus and who he is, and then there's another kind of offense that God so recklessly seeks to destroy that he was willing to give himself. And that is anything and everything that gets in the way of us coming near to God. When you look at scripture, when you see Jesus mad, when you see God mad in the New Testament or the Old Testament, it is consistently when people establish obstacles that stand as a barrier in the way of people drawing near to God. This, Jesus didn't have to pay the tax. Jesus didn't owe the tax. But Jesus ta- saw two men in front of him who he knew that if he refused to pay a $75 tax, $80 tax, $100 tax, $200 tax, whatever your day's wages is, that if he refused to do it, his demanding of his right, his his demanding of his true right, that he didn't have to pay it, would be an obstacle to these men coming near to him. Because all they would have seen, they would have missed the Messiah, and they would have seen another guy showing up who's unwilling to even be a good Jew. And if he can't even be a good Jew, how could he be the Jewish Messiah? Jesus, Jesus knew that a $75 tax that he was not responsible to pay was not worth the eternal destination of these men. Paul He talks about this in Galatians, what we see in Jesus. He says this in Galatians 5, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. As follower Jesus, if you're a follower Jesus, it it is absolutely clear. I love the way the translation puts it. It is absolutely clear, unequivocal, pure, as true, as right as it can be, that you are free. Just make sure that you do not use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. And he goes on, says this, rather use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. Jesus says it elsewhere this way. He says, um, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. You see, you have the freedom not to. Jesus has done everything. You're not earning God's favor or God's approval by anything you do in denying yourself. God has done that perfectly and completely. He has called you a son and daughter, and that will never change. Jesus has perfectly, completely given everything necessary for you to be a son or a daughter. But you have a choice. 
You can choose to use your freedom, as Paul talks about, to cause harm to others, or, or, or you can look like Jesus, who emptied himself, not considering equality with God something to be grasped. This is all, this is all that means is that if Jesus came and showed up in full of his deity and full of his godship, our brains would just go, like we would just have no way of grasping it, right? God, his ways are not his ways. His thoughts are not his, his thoughts are his thoughts. Um, His thoughts are not our thoughts, right? That he would be so, we, we, we wouldn't even be able to understand who he was or what was going on. But he did not consider equality to be something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, And he became like us. He gave up his rights, even to the point of becoming a servant, even to the point of death. He gave up his his rightful, God-given privileges. He could have demanded anything. He could have stood on his privilege and said, I'm the son of God, I don't have to pay that tax. But he didn't. He saw two men in front of him who his refusal would be the obstacle between them and God. Not Jesus, but a simple $75 tax would be the obstacle. Paul says it this way. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love one another as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. That's, I love that. That's an act of true freedom. To be willing to take up your cross. To be willing to lay down your rights. To be willing to lay down your privileges to serve an image bearer of God. You see, we have written out on our lobby a a sign. It says this, it says um, that we will do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. And a lot of times uh, when people read that, what they think is like, we'll do crazy things, which is check, guilty, okay? We'll do crazy things. We'll do whatever, right? We'll try it once. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But you know what? Um, All of us are very grateful that we got to see Aaron in a sequin um, coat vest. And there's been some really great privilege we've had because we're willing to do whatever, right? A lot of times that's what people think. They think, we'll, we'll push the boundaries. We'll push the limits. We'll push the blocks. We'll do anything. But it doesn't just mean that. It also means this. We will do anything apart from sin to reach people for Jesus, which means there will be times where we will have to refuse demanding our rights. It means that we will have to refuse to speak when we have the right to speak. It means that we will have to refuse to push back when we're owed it. When they took it from us. When we deserve it. When it is our God-given right. Because far be it from us. Can can you imagine, just just go with me. I don't think this is going to happen, but I don't know. Can you imagine judgment day comes and you stand in front of Jesus And instead of showing you all these beautiful, life-giving moments, he shows you pictures. He shows you moments of your life where you were the obstacle. Where there are image bearers 
who stumbled over your demands, over your pride, over your rights. Like, and I don't say that demeaningly. Like, you're, you have the right. Stumbled over you. And they missed the opportunity to draw near to Jesus. What day of mourning would that be? I can't imagine that there is anything we could say, anything we could do, anything that we could demand that would be worthy of knowing that an image bearer of God tripped and fell on their way to God because of me. Because of you. Because of us. So the good news of the gospel The good news of the gospel is that we have a God who is reckless and aggressive about destroying any and every object that stands in the way of image bearers drawing near to him. And if we're going to be his followers, then there will be times where we will have the right. We will stand up and say, hey, I don't owe that tax. That's not my burden. That's not my responsibility. I didn't have anything to do with that. I'm not responsible. And we will be called, just as Jesus did, to pay the tax for someone else so that men and women can find their way to Jesus. Far be it from us that we be the obstacle that causes someone to stumble, that causes, that gives a weapon to the enemy to whisper into their ear and distract them away from the goodness of God. So what is it for you? Was it for us? Rights we rightfully deserve that we today, out of love, out of our freedom, must lay down. Because that's, that's where freedom really grows. That's where love grows.